This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson. Affect in education usually refers to emotions and motivation. Since these do not show up on test scores to the educational bureaucracy, they do not exist. However, they are arguably the most important components in teaching and learning, especially if you're a student with a learning need or a special learning need. In today's podcast, we examine emotions, motivation, and learning to read with a special focus on adolescence. So let's take a look at motivations. We think, we learn, we emote with the same brain. It would be silly to think that students' emotions would not be a factor in their ability to learn. Positive emotions can enhance and promote learning. Negative emotions can disrupt and prevent learning. And since there's plenty of research to support this notion, we can say that attending to students' emotions can be considered a research-based strategy and not simply some namby-pamby feel-good activity. Try to understand what it must feel like to be an adolescent with a reading disability. These students exist in school settings where they experience failure, frustration, and humiliation on a daily basis. Since they were in first grade, they have failed in a very public way daily. Every class for the last six to ten years that had a required reading assignment was a reminder of what they were not able to do. Students with reading disabilities are given the not-too-subtle message that they're not very smart or unable to learn, and this is certainly not the case. All humans can learn. Learning is a part of the human condition. This is what helped our species evolve. Students with reading disabilities can read. They just can't read very well. Their brains have more difficulty processing certain types of information. In this case, it's the squiggly little symbols on the page. This doesn't mean they're not smart or capable of learning. In fact, I am uncomfortable with the term learning disability because it is not at all accurate. All humans can learn. Human brains naturally try to make sense out of the data presented to it. Thus, a more accurate term would be learning certain kinds of things disability, or learning the way schools want you to learn disability, or learning school things disability, or in this case, reading disability. This inaccurate term learning disability, is used because it is recognized by the federal government and thus it makes it more likely that specialized instruction will receive federal funding. This is the way it works, you see, in this educational world where down is up and up is down. I want you to think of a time in your life when you were a less able learner, where you just could not learn something. It may have been a sport, music or musical instrument, tap dancing, algebra, statistics, physics, whatever it was. What did it feel like when everyone else seemed to be able to catch on and learn easily while you didn't? Were you motivated to come to class? Did you want to continue? 
Were you inspired to practice outside the teaching session? Did you enjoy doing what you couldn't do? Only by putting yourself in a similar situation can you begin to understand what students with a reading disability might feel like and why they might act out in class occasionally. Again, what do you do when you're frustrated? Imagine as well that time when you tried to do something but could not. Now try to imagine not being able to do that every day with people watching and recording how much you could not do the thing you're trying to do. Can you begin to understand why it is that students with reading disabilities shut down and sometimes put forth minimal effort? Why they sometimes hate school? It's called downshifting, and it's done for the protection of the emotional unit. It's not that these students do not want to learn, it's that they don't want to fail. And when failure is the only option available to them, they will do everything possible to avoid the activity or to show you how stupid the activity was in the first place. So, in my work with students with reading disabilities, I have found that addressing the emotional component of reading and failing needs to be put forth up front if you're going to make any progress, and it should be reinforced every session. You need to say to students very directly, you have trouble reading, not a big deal. Doesn't mean that you're dumb or that you can't learn, it just means you have trouble reading. Lots of people have trouble reading. We're going to see what we can do to make it better. That's it. Straight up, simple truth. This takes the pressure off. The second thing is that students need to trust you. It means you have to establish some sort of relationship with them. This too can be considered a research-based strategy because establishing supportive trusting relationships between teachers and learners has been shown to enhance learning, including learning to read. As well, you develop trust by not frustrating, boring, or humiliating students and by believing in them. So let's take a look at the second part. Motivation. Motivation is an internal state that causes us to direct our attention or maintain a behavior. Motivation can direct our attention and sustain our behavior toward a particular goal. Now all students enter kindergarten excited and motivated to learn. They see themselves as able learners, whole and complete. But something happens in the next two years as some of our students travel down the educational conveyor belt. They begin to see themselves as defective. The system begins to view them as broken toys that need to be sent back to Santa's workshop. In order to get the education they need, the educational bureaucracy has forced us to stamp a big label on the foreheads of these children, learning disabled. As described above, this term does not exist. All humans learn. Learning is a state of being human and being alive. 
However, with their label now in place, we send these little humans off to the room down at the end of the hall to get them all fixed up so they can return to the, quote, normal, unquote, classroom with the, quote, normal, unquote, kids. But what happens? They never return. Just as all students learn, all students are motivated to do something. The problem is that some of these things are not always school-related things. But again, put yourself in the place of a student with a reading disability. How motivated would you be to come to school and fail every day? So, a couple of motivating facts. Number one, motivation and achievement are highly correlated. Correlation does not infer causation. We can't say that motivation causes high achievement or high achievement causes motivation. But we can say with confidence that there is a strong relationship between the two. Number two, motivation is highly related to positive attitude and persistence. Students who are highly motivated have a more positive attitude towards school, they cause fewer management problems, and they are more likely to persist on difficult tasks. Three, incentives differ. An incentive is any object or event that either encourages or discourages behavior. We usually think of incentives as rewards, but they could be punish, punishers as well. Some think that if we just find the right incentive, then we can motivate all students. Two things wrong with this idea. First, what is motivating to one person in one setting may not be to another person in another setting. Some children may be very motiv motivated to get a sticker, to be a teacher helper, or to get a letter grade that is close to the front of the alphabet, while others may not. With some, learned helplessness has already set in like rigor mortis on day-old roadkill. They realize that no matter what they do, they cannot earn the reward or avoid the punisher. This creates even more anger and more resentment. The second thing wrong with this incentive idea is that simply looking for rewards and punishments to manipulate students into doing things puts teaching at the same level as the operator of a Skinner box handing out rat pellets and electric shocks. We are teachers, not rat trainers. Number four a mismatch between school goals and student goals. All students are motivated to achieve certain goals. However, students' goals are sometimes much different from school goals. Think back, if you can, to your own high school experience. What were you motivated to do? I would guess that goals related to social interactions, sports or music or relationships or self-expression or simply having fun, however you would define that, were at the top of the list. I would imagine as well that motivation to learn was a little further down the list. You may have been motivated to achieve, but this is different from being motivated to learn, to find out about things. As classroom teachers, if we can align our learning goals with students' goals, 
teaching becomes effortless. Teaching becomes magic. This means trying to get a handle of our students' natural inclinations and creating learning experiences, activities, and assignments as part of learning in your classroom. Middle school and high school students are currently developmentally negotiating social roles, peer groups, self-identity, and their own values. Creating cooperative learning activities based on these makes teaching and learning much easier. This doesn't mean that you have to give up academic goals. As a matter of fact, students will learn more and learn more deeply if they are motivated to learn. It simply means that you design lessons, activities, and assignments around students' natural desires and inclinations and you provide some open-endedness to these activities and assignments. All right, part three of this podcast, we are going to look at value expectancy theory. This theory posits that students' motivation and achievement behaviors are a result of the value they have in act- of the activity and their expectancy of success. Put this theory in a mathematical equation It is this, value times expectancy equals motivation. And just like any multiplication equation, if one of the factors is zero, the product, motivation, will be zero. So let's look at each one of these. Value first. Is the activity or skill of any value to students? Do they find it of worth? Do they see themselves as using the skill, in this case reading, in their everyday life? Is it enjoyable? Is it meaningful? Are we doing anything to devalue that skill, in this case reading? There are four dimensions to value, attainment value, intrinsic value, utility value, and cost belief. Attainment value looks at the importance of doing well with the task. What is the value of attaining this skill? In reading, students most likely have a sense of the utilitarian value of reading. They would like to be able to read and understand things. As well, there's a strong desire to use email and texting and other forms of social media to interact and socialize using the printed word. This is of high importance, especially to adolescents. We can enhance learning by aligning our curriculum to students' natural inclinations, curiosities, and developmental tendencies. Since communicating with peers is very important, it would make sense for us to use this as the basis for literacy instruction. Intrinsic value is the amount of enjoyment derived from the task or skill. Do students find reading class to be of interest? Is reading enjoyable? It's very hard to value something that is meaningless or boring or repetitive. But take a look at what often goes on in the reading instruction of students with reading disabilities. It seems as if we do everything possible to make it uninteresting and painful. Reading instruction for students with reading disabilities is often a series of meaningless drill and practice on reading subskills. This makes reading abstract and disconnected from the human experience and incredibly boring. 
As well, it's hard to expect students to be motivated to read if they do not have something enjoyable to read. Students need interesting things to read. And working with adolescents with severe reading disabilities, I found that comic books and graphic novels are very good sources to use. The pictures make it interesting and help to carry the story. There's a lot of action and there's minimal text to read on each page. These can be downloaded on a computer, Kindle, or iPad, or other devices. You can, also find, you can also find these for minimal cost. However, make sure you preview the comics or graphic novels first, as many are not kid-appropriate. You don't want to find this out the hard way. High-low books are books that are high interest with low reading level. These books are usually written at the first or second grade reading level, but have topics that might be of interest to students in fifth grade and above. Do an internet search using the terms high, low books and you'll find some resources here. As well, students enjoy hearing what other students have to say. Students writing can be a good source of reading material. Students with severe reading disabilities often have trouble writing as well, so you can use a language experience approach where students dictate their stories to you. Print these off or create computer documents that leave room for students to illustrate each page. As well, there's many speech-to-print programs in which students can speak into the computer to get text written. Save these stories. After a year or so, you'll have a library full of interesting reading material for other students to read. Also find short articles or books about things that students are interested in, such as social skills, hunting, military topics, or dating for high school people. As an example, things that they're interested in. I was working with a ninth grade boy who was reading at about the first or second grade level. I introduced comics that had a lot of action in pictures. I told them that there were a lot of comics that I couldn't use with him because they were a little violent or racy. So what do you think he asked me? How do I download these on my iPad? Now I'm not promoting using adult material with adolescents. Instead I'm promoting the idea of finding reading material that adolescents want to know about or are interested in reading. Utility value. Utility value is the perceived usefulness of the tasks toward other goals. Do students need to use the skill? Is it useful in any way? This is why in literacy classes we need to have students engaged in authentic literacy experiences to the greatest degree possible. Authentic literacy experiences are where students read and write for real purposes just like we do in the real world. Authentic literacy experiences include reading for enjoyment or to get specific information, writing to record, organize, or convey thoughts, and having real conversations, social interactions about books they have read or stories they've written. This is what we do as adults. We rarely complete comprehension worksheets out in the real world. I'm 62 years old. 
I have yet to complete a comprehension worksheet. The third part of this value expectancy theory is expectancy. So riddle me this, Batman. What do you think adolescents with severe reading disabilities have learned after six to eight years of reading instruction? I'll tell you. Too often they have learned to fail. They've learned this lesson so well that they fail in most things related to literacy. Failure is not a great motivator. Nobody wants to do what he or she cannot do. Very few people want to be frustrated or embarrassed. Can you imagine a coach telling his or her team before the big game, Okay team, let's go out there and fail miserably. Let's really embarrass ourselves in front of everybody this time. We can do it. So in terms of reading, do students with reading disabilities expect to succeed? We have a special term for this called self-efficacy. This is the belief that you can accomplish what you set out to do. It's like the little train who said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, before going up the big hill. And here's the funny thing about self-efficacy. Research supports it. It's strongly related to achievement. So in this sense, you could call those things done to help students' self-efficacy research-based strategies. Frustrating students is a sure way to extinguish any remaining motivation there may have once been to read. The theory of classical conditioning helps us understand why this is so. Pavlov's dog was conditioned to associate a bell with meat powder. Thereafter, every time the dog heard the bell, it salivated, whether the meat powder was there or not. In the same way, students learn to associate reading with frustration, failure, and humiliation. Thereafter, every time they encounter reading, they emote negatively. Thus, you must keep instruction proximal. Help students experience success and make reading instruction as enjoyable as possible. It is research-based practice. So the last part of this podcast today, tips for reducing negative emotions related to learning difficulty. As we stated at the top of this podcast, positive emotions can enhance learning. Negative emotions can impede or disrupt learning. Negative emotions are often generated when students experience difficulties learning school-related things. So here are eight strategies. Number one. Teach within the zone of proximal development. During teaching and learning, students' independent level is the level at which they can do something independently. The frustration level is the level at which students cannot accomplish a task, even with teacher support. And the zone of proximal development is just above the independent level where students can achieve success with teacher support or scaffolding. Teach within the zone of proximal development. Number two, use multi-level teaching strategies. In any classroom, there will be students of varying ability levels with different strength and deficit areas. 
multi-level teaching strategies such as UDL, workshop approaches, contract learning, and tiered instruction can be used to avoid frustrating students and help all students achieve their full potential. Number three, use homework to practice learning. Homework should not be used to challenge students or as a mechanism for sorting and grading. Instead, it should be used to practice or reinforce the learning that has already occurred. This means that students should be able to complete homework assignments with high rates of success. Number four, allow time in class to begin homework. This enables students to practice their learning in a structured, supportive environment. Here, the teacher can reduce frustration by providing immediate support. Number five, use grading judiciously. Not every homework assignment needs to be graded. Again, the goal of homework is to practice learning. If the whole class does poorly on an assignment, this may be an indication that the skill or subject may not have been taught in ways that did not fully enable learning to occur. <clears throat> in grading, always strive to catch students learning. Six, recognize normality. Students learn at different rates and achieve at different levels. This is normal. Some students will be below average in their ability to learn certain school-related things. This is also normal and to be expected. Do not add to the feeling of abnormality students sometimes feel by expecting all students to be the same, imposing unrealistic expectations on them, or making them or making comparison to their peers. Number seven, recognize growth and improvement. Help students set appropriate learning goals, knowing that goals will be different for each. And number eight, use strategies to reduce test anxiety. One way to reduce test anxiety is to focus on learning instead of measuring learning. Just as a pig doesn't get heavier by weighing it, more learning does not occur with more testing. As well, include other types of measures or ways for students to demonstrate the learning. Also, allow students to take more than one version of an exam in middle and high school. With today's technology, online exams can be created that, that randomly generate questions from a test bank. Allow students to study or even discuss results in small groups between exams. Remember, the goal is learning, not measuring. And finally, teach test-taking strategies. This has been a long podcast focusing on emotion, motivation, and reading disabilities.